Hey there. We uh, we had a good time talking about uh, Mr. Sidney Poitier. Uh, we talked about some stuff, as we've been doing lately at the beginning. If you want to skip past all that nonsense and go straight to the Sidney Poitier movie talk, I'd head to minute 46-ish. Thanks. Take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies. Put them in a room and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film. Joe? Hey, buddy. Hey, man. Really quick. Before yeah. we get started, like okay. officially started here. All right. What did the gingerbread man use to make his bed? Uh, what did the gingerbread use to make his bed? Cookie sheets. Why did you start this way? <laughs> <laughs> I want to give you some ammunition, some jokes to tell Max. Okay. All right. So let's go. That was your start when I yeah, asked you, do you want to start? Yeah, with sure. the one line. Terrible yeah, a joke. Little, a little joke. Pow. A little joke to get you started. There, man. An yeah. amuse-bouche of amusement. Oh, do you overuse amuse-bouche, dude? You, do you love amuse-bouche like a douche? It's adorable. And you know it's what? It's really never, not. I've never had one. Oh, That's no. what's so it's interesting. It's such an obnoxious thing to use. Dude, I'm trying to keep Dave interested in the game here. And, and and make it local. Make it as specific to specific people as possible. That's the other thing you should do on this show. Yeah, absolutely. Just name specific people no one knows talking about. Oh, Jesus. You are just a <laughs> sassy, pant little motherfucker right now. All right. See? And that's why I do jokes like that. Okay. Let's um, get, you, get you involved. Okay. All right. So let's talk, man. We are uh, approaching the holiday season. And um, yeah. Let's see. So let let's me ask see. So let's, before we go any further, let me ask you this. What are you... Grateful for yeah, the traditional this skills holidays. of a young Leno, sir. Let's see. Mm -hmm. um, what am I grateful for? Yeah, what are you grateful for? That's one of those questions that comes up during the holidays. Yeah, what's the, what's been something? What's some, what are a couple of things? That do you, you like that question, for? by the way? When when it comes up during Thanksgiving, how do you feel? Nah, it feels a little weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm particularly well, I, the idea of being grateful for something is kind of interesting. You know, I've been taking, um, I've been doing yoga again. I got uh, really into yoga earlier this year, mm -hmm. and I. Um, and it was off it for a while, and it's so easy to forget when you're not in it. And then I got back into it, and there's a lot of that sort of talk in there. I used to fucking hate that, by the way. Like this what? Is, like well, what do you mean? Well, you know, I, in the past, there were numerous people, mostly women, who would drag me over the years to yoga classes. And yeah, of I, I most disliked the... Um, Sort of ending uh, meditative, you oh. know, spirit to the sky, you know, mm -hmm. thrust your heart, blah, 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 mm -hmm. over. Um, and you so. It's hard to do that. The idea of, <laughs> the idea of um, gratitude uh -huh. is, is on a lot of people's lips. And also, you get it with a lot of people I know who are in like uh, recovery. Like oh yeah, of it's a constant, and right. then you, and then on top of it, just becomes a sort of a popular uh, amuse bouche, if you will, uh, to you, the main really course of life. And that is, uh, you know, five things I'm great. The five things I'm grateful for challenge on social media or something yeah, like that. But so. That's, so at that point, we're talking like just that's arbitrary and weird, and it's an arbitrary number for that matter. So, yeah. but there are things that you are probably grateful for. In no, this no, I'm just I'm not saying I'm not. I'm just giving you the history of oh, yeah. of how. Uh, not your question, but like how that question can be so sort of pervasive and annoying because quite often invasive. 
alive. There's a, but there's a there's an uh, attitude that you you should be, or you right. you know, it's necessary that one be grateful. Uh-huh. Um, and of course, what how it really manifests itself is we have a culture where um, we ignore, I, including myself, uh, homeless people. Um, 363 days a year and then Thanksgiving and Christmas come <laughs> along and it's like my god they're 10%, out there <laughs> 10% of us go out to feed them yeah. right right <laughs> and really feel good about ourselves oh yeah Ooh. so we're you know we're animals no, I think this is an interesting thing I, the difference between thankful and grateful what would that be I think grateful is is I think grateful comes with a notion, comes with an implied notion that you don't feel necessarily worthy of it like maybe you didn't earn it or something like that it's opposed to thankful uh, I, I didn't. I never thought it that way, but it's an interesting point. I always took thankful to being it's in response to something kind of specific uh-huh. that was uh, done for you, um, and grateful is sort of um, an appreciation of the situation, hmm. right? Okay. So it's like uh, I'm grateful to be employed, but it's not like I, I'm grateful to my boss or something like that. Right, and, okay, but it's yeah. like I'm thankful that you know they chose me mm-hmm. in that position or something like that. Fair enough. I'm also grateful for the ability to just continue to talk when I don't have an answer or something because <laughs> I, because the truth of the matter is I don't know um, I'm I'm uh, I'm grateful for for uh, uh, a lot of things during the holiday that are um, you know pretty pedestrian I would say uh, I would say mostly I'm grateful for the ability to do a show like this um, but that uh, I can we can pump out a show each week for a year and a half now with. Mm-hmm very low listenership, decide that we want to, as of a couple of weeks ago, um, reformat the show a bit, mm-hmm. get our listenership cut in half, <laughs> At least. and then not care. Yeah. It does. It's irrelevant. If anyone were to, if we were to justify what we're doing, to anyone, there's no justification for it except for the pleasure of doing it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Because we're not getting much else out of it. But yeah, it, it's, it's yeah. I have the faint sort of idea that this is you know what's happened in the um, the age of the internet, as as the kids call it. Is that's what archaeologists will call it later as well? Is that you're getting um, sort of uh, technically driven stuff, and I just mean like audio or, or things like that that are lost. And then recovered. Mm. So it's like if you listen to like Radio Lab or something like that, it's like, and then there's this moment from 1964 that no one remembers, and mm. it's you know on a subway when this guy recorded this one thing, and it's like you know you can you can there are more opportunities for for um, I guess like the Van Goghism of life, right? Because Van Gogh wasn't really recognized in his life, right? Right. Yep. And so yep. that that sort of sense of like you can die and sort of still be uh, appreciated um, a long time from now without having to like have a, a publishing deal or something like that. Sure. I would also say, like, just the, the you know the opportunity for you and me to to like hide in a cave and bloviate about something we care about. Beautiful, yeah. Is uh, yeah, I, I, I see I see gratitude for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. things you things and I we love care about. thinking we know a lot. So, yeah, I mean that's the thing, and and I would say that that's you know if I were to say, talk about like a gratitude for friendship or my friendship with you, for instance, I would say that um, I really and it's not about. Um, because the temptation is go like ah oh, only in America it's like no <laughs> only in like probably twenty five percent of the world or something yeah. like that right. it's like that that um, you have this opportunity to to sort of test drive being um, Siskel and Ebert and in, in not not the not the generic way of talking about them but like the idea that um, you and I could oh. could critique a cup of coffee for an hour oh, like that's a, that's a real luxury yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm grateful to be a, a, a fucking teacher. And here's the goddamn reason why, <laughs> cunt faces, <laughs> is that um, okay. it is uh, it is 
a terrible amount of work to oh, be a full-time yeah. teacher because it's just hours and hours of prep and grading and never mind teaching itself yeah. and then committee work. But there is summer break, and there, which is like two and a half months, mm-hmm. and there's winter break, which is like three weeks, and I got a winter break that started today, and I am happy as a motherfucking clam. So that's my answer. What are you grateful for? Well, first off, I'm grateful I'm not Ebert. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, God, because losing your lower jaw, that freaks me out, dude. That was not okay. Yeah, you know, I'm always Oof, amazed. That, that at freaked me out when I saw that. I was like, "Oh, dude!" How people sort of deal with that? Like, what's? It's become a lot more, um, shall I say, fashionable to to lose a limb. I mean, it's almost like you know, it's uh, people are dancers and athletes and homecoming kings. Right, right, right. <laughs> Like one of the a, fastest men in the world is that guy from South Africa with the, no legs. The spoon feet who, who murdered his, his girlfriend, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. You can be a murderer now yeah. with spoon feet. But, um, <laughs> but so it's like, wow, you know, you're really comfortable with that. You wear that and you go out and get tattoos on your remaining limbs. And it's like, God damn it, that's a good place <coughs> in our society. But having Body this, modification means maybe we're running out of shit to worry about. But the constant surprised <laughs> look that Ebert had on his face the last three years of his life when he had no bottom half was incredibly <laughs> uncomfortable. Oh, God. Oh, that's that's how we're going to live on, by the way. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. how we're going to live on is, you know, when, mm. when he did, um, because he was rich and famous and he had you know, 10,000 hours of his talking right. on the air, mm-hmm. they were able to take his voice and do that computer thing. So like even Does Stephen do that even you? Stephen Hawking's had I am Stephen Hawking's <laughs> but but Roger Ebert had well you know in the Roger Ebert I voice know, he know, could know. he could use the machine to talk in Roger Ebert voice so so wow. so can we okay. if we keep at this my friend if nothing else when uh, your jaw drops off from from uh, uh, <laughs> yes. smoking I'm okay. assuming and right. mine drops off from um, analingus uh-huh. uh, we will have Oof. recorded voices wow. Anyway, so that's, I there's your gratitude. Giant, all I want is a giant button on my keyboard that I press. You said cock wrong. It says a moose bouche. Ah, oh, a moose bouche, yo. <laughs> Dude, it's going to be a tabla rasa, I swear. Oh, yeah, I hate your catchphrases. I wish I had a squirt gun full of hepatitis <laughs> right now. Just a, <laughs> Whose mouth would you shoot that in first, I wonder? <laughs> yeah, that Ebert you so quickly, sir. <laughs> uh, all right, well, there we go. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I'm a, I, I mean, it's, um, I'm a person of a little uh, ima- uh, imagination. I, think I have wrong imagination, I guess is what it is. I have, interesting imagination. Well, okay. it's only under duress, I would assume. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day, about the time machine thing that we all think about. Like, if I had a time machine. Where would I go? Mm-hmm. Who would I kill? Mine what? is so limited. It's the same one every time. And it's that I would uh, go back and do better in high school. First of all, that's so boring. But I would... <laughs> I would get into a good school, and then I would biff it from um, Back to the Future 2 and take a sports uh, facts book right. back to, uh, I, to... I like that idea. And by the way, my dream is not to... not to. My dream is to do well in high school, uh-huh. um, to get into like UC Berkeley yeah. in the late 80s, to have... Back my, when it was just, just stopping being free, go. Yep. And then uh, to have my sports facts book... And on the weekends, have a suite in, not Vegas, mind you. My dream is to have it in Reno and do sports book so that I become amazingly wealthy yeah. on the weekends uh-huh. and have this great degree. Right. Which means 
you're at the gambling table like like doing your homework or something like that. Uh, yeah, like it's not it's not to kill wow. Hitler or fuck May West. How it's to it's to do sports book. Oh shit, fuck May West. Okay, bucket list. Let's go. Put that okay. On there. okay, so but but let me ask but let me ask you this: the mechanics of that. Like, yeah, so what we're assuming is by time travel, you're going back to your teenage body. What would you go back? Would you, you'd go back so you do better in high school. Would you go back and be part of the staff and just cheat for a young Joseph Voth? No, no, no. I would become because it would have the advantage also of of being smarter than I am now. I mean, it would have amassed because I would have like. So you would followed. transport back to your young body in with in, my mindset, in, I guess. Okay, right. I mean, right. that's the way everyone because that's it's the only way it can work. If you go back to kill Hitler and then you don't have, the, you, you'd be like, why am I back here again? You'd, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who's that guy? Well, no, of course you'd have that, but 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 like, so we're sending your body back. Yeah. In time. Yeah. But your young body is still fucking up in high school. See what I'm saying? You're, you're, you got to also got to you got to avoid the paradox. Wait, well, yeah, are you trying to separate mind body? I mean, I'm trying to separate mind body. Like my mind would be different, right? So yeah, of I would course, just yeah. do better. Uh, okay, so so you are talking about just sending your your consciousness back? Yeah. Into your okay. I didn't fuck up in high school right. because I couldn't do it. I fucked up in high school because I, <laughs> I a shitty attitude. Had yeah. a really really shitty attitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, this too. anyway. So okay. the sports book. I was I was reading about this. Um, a series of things the other day, like um, there was this, there was this guy, um, I don't know, John Spano. Do you know John? John you ever heard John? Sp- wasn't he a wasn't he a coach or something like he that? He was not a coach. He was an owner. He was a team owner for the I want to say the Dallas Mavericks or a part owner for the da- Dallas Mavericks. But he had no money. He had no money at all. Okay. Okay. So in like the late eighties, I want to say the the New York Islanders, the hockey team. Um, was like the shittiest team on the planet. All right. They were just, I mean, they were the Brooklyn Dodgers of their time, okay. I guess, right? So John Spano comes along and he's like, I'm going to buy the team, gentlemen, mm-hmm. and I'm going to turn this team around. And the team, uh, the, the asking price was something like... Um, oh, wait a minute. Okay, go on. I think I have heard this. It was like $160 million. Right. And so his the requirement was that... Um, he had to put eighty million dollars or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So John Spano um, says, "I'm going to turn this team around." I did it with you know this other team. So John Spano in in reality had three hundred thousand dollars, right, right. And he made a deal where he had to he had to pay five yearly installments of seventeen million dollars. I think that adds up to to eighty million dollars or something like that. All right. So first of all, he's celebrated. You can go back to YouTube, and it's like you know he becomes a celebrated guy around mm-hmm. uh, Manhattan, but especially around Long Island. He couldn't walk into a fucking Denny's without the whole place erupting and like you saved us. <laughs> and uh, you know it's gonna. He's also gonna you know redo. I think they played at Nassau Coliseum or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and so he becomes this hero. And in reality. He had three hundred thousand dollars. He had, he had zero no money, money at yeah, all. I remember that. Yeah. So it was like, how is he going to fucking pull this shit off? Exactly. How was this going to work? Mm-hmm. And so the way that he here's what here was his solution, which was not unlike my solution for getting through all of grade school and high school. I mean, this is oh, why I was such a fuck up. What? Well, I don't know if you remember. Like holidays um, used to be terrible during. Um, like grade school for me i don't know your parents didn't seem to care that much but but my dad was really hard on my grades and i was always fucking up and so we'd have like a a christmas vacation that would be really joyful until Mm. like the day before school was gonna start and then i couldn't sleep 
for like a day because I knew what was coming, which is like, you know, oh, the really? news that he'd been fucking around all semester and had, you know, mm-hmm. not passing grades. And so John Spano lived this life because he would do things like say, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I move around some money in Zurich and I'll, uh, I'll wire that 17 million to you. And they're like, Oh, okay, great. And they'd already signed the team over to him right. based on his fucking good faith handshake. Like the guy was a really good day. And then he would, he would, um, he would wire a check for $1,700 yeah, and they would so call they, oh, him. And I don't like, know how that happened. Oh, that, oh. you're kidding me. Oh, goddamn computers. <laughs> That's what you could do back then is sort of talk about goddamn computers and like how they a, were. <laughs> maybe lying like a five-year-old. Yeah, just I love those fucking stories. Like there's a, I, the other one, there are two more that I love. One is, um, um, I, and, and I read this book years ago. This, this guy named Williams wrote it. And uh, I think the dollop did a whole episode on it, but it was oh, C- the Bunyan race? CC Pyle and the amazing foot race. <laughs> Bunyan race. Yeah. yeah the Bunyan I mean, Derby. This, the Bunyan Derby. This guy, <laughs> CC Pyle, who was sort of like a, a Barnum and Bailey of his time. And he's, he's, I guess, responsible for, uh, like um, professional football to some degree, like he oh, actually really? ended okay. up sort of inadvertently doing something good. Um, but he he had this. Well, depending on your opinion on that one, yeah. Oh, I'm not a football fan. Yeah, but, yeah. but um, oh, oh, you mean that the sort of a corporatization of football or something what, like that? Any any number of things that are that are that are potentially wrong with football, you know. So, but uh, but that beside the point. Go ahead. Well, not beside the point. Actually, I'd like to go into that for a second because you're. Uh, well, we can talk about it another time, I guess. But mm-hmm. but anyway, so so uh, you know, he promised something like fifty or $100,000 to the, the person who could first start in Los Angeles yes. and then first reach like Madison Square Garden right. and do like two laps on the inner track or something like that. <laughs> well, like like having like waypoints along the way and places where people could crash and it was all very, he was poorly, he was not a good organizer. Well, yeah, it was a bad organizer and it was sort of like, you know, pe- people were desperate back then. This is actually just before the, just, the, 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 the Great Depression. depression. Can, like happened during this race, right? Yeah, I think. and it, but, it's, but it's like, you know, people were motivated anyway because you don't need a Great Depression to have like, you you know, people who were just in dire poverty and who were willing well, to do anything. Also, this was a time period when, like, that was huge. Like, Lindbergh crossing the the, the Atlantic. Like, oh, the marathon the creating, dance. Like, like, the creating of records. Was three-day like, dance oh, marathon. People, people love that shit. They ate it up, man. Oh. Ate it like a 200 goldfish. Just, like, any ridiculous sort of record, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, holding, like, those kind of athons were enormous, Athons, right? yeah. Mm. We should have an athon. Anyway, so, so um, yeah, so, so... Um, he gets these people, like a hundred men, to run, and they're running like between fifty and seventy-five miles a, a day. day, every day. <laughs> like what you know, these Through are desert s- and mountain. Today, these guys would all have their own sort of show on on Vice or something, like <laughs> the Endurance Man with a bestseller book. But and they're running in shoes that are like boots. They yeah, didn't they, have like running shoes, so, that, right. so every day they'd like cross the finish line, like blood would be pouring out of their boots. <laughs> yes. And and like racially, they're like uh, African Americans who were running, like would like they well, have stories where guys would like follow them in a truck with a shotgun, like you better leave, boy. But that was thing. a guy who was winning. Like there was a there was a very po- I don't yeah. remember the guy's name, but there was a popular. It was an, a black athlete who was like sort of like carrying the torch for black people, and he was hugely popular. Every time they go through a black town. It, 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 like the, the the people would line the streets and yeah. cheer them on, but then yeah, you're right. Like the, like like in other places, like some guy with a truck and a white guy with a truck and a shotgun would be like, "You better not win, boy." Yeah, you know, like doing that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so so um, 
fucking weird little <laughs> capsule of our time and place there. Shit. So all this is going on, and C.C. Pyle, by the way, has zero money. No money. Yeah, he runs out of <laughs> at money. At the end. He had some money at the beginning, and, prob- and, and he was hoping to, to sell, like... Uh, Every time they go to a city or something like that, he would yeah. have like a carnival and try to get the locals there to come out and basically give money to continue the race. And they didn't necessarily yeah. do oh, that. Oh, because there was obviously some sort of entry fee, like that was yeah. $50 or something. So he was, but but it wasn't no. like he was a complete con like, like John Spano. Well, in a way, they have something in common because I think both of them genuinely felt like, I can do this. Yes. But both of them like have that thing where it's like John, John Spano, like, I mean, he got caught and went to jail and everything. Thing. He got he went caught caught went to jail got and now, out now got has real, a talk show right no got he's been rearrested a couple of times for like forgery <laughs> like did not learn his lesson but he would talk about like he'd wake up at like five a.m. Oh, oh, oh the OJ lesson he'd okay. wake up at five a.m. and like go out to his balcony in his apartment and as the sun was rising he would like consciously think to himself appreciate these next thirty minutes to the last thirty minutes of the day that you're not going to be terrified of the day, right? And I know that feeling. I've been there, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the existen- when existential dread is your every waking moment. Yeah, oh, I, I've been there. I was just interested in this, and what it started out was I'd read, I'd heard about this thing, um, um, this Massachusetts Salem Technical College, where um, I guess at some point there was a point where they would pay um, uh, a college football players. That, I mean, that's we talk about that now. That's right. a big conversation about should they be paid. But apparently, there was a time when they were paid. Really? Well, it was it was regional. Like you could do it. Hmm. And so there was this um, Salem. Technic- you know, it's funny. There's laws against it now, which indicate. Yeah, I guess you're right. It never it never occurred to me. It's yeah, I, I didn't know that either. I assumed it was a, a new idea. Yeah. But there was a Salem Technical College, and um, year after year, they had the just a horrible losing record. Mm-hmm. Like they just never won anything. <laughs> And so finally, when someone just sort of broke it down, like, where is this technical college? It turns out there wasn't one. These were all guys who had jobs, but they needed extra <laughs> money. And the guy who. So they would tour as a college. They would tour as a college, a technical college. Wow. And the guy, the, the coach was like, never win, because as soon as you win, they investigate you. So they could go on years and years and years getting paid, and they weren't a college. Wow. I just, wow. I'm just fascinated by that because the old dummy over here would go back and do better in high school and then bet in Reno if he had a time machine. <laughs> Meanwhile, these guys Not are doing even real Vegas. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, fabulous. Uh, you, know, uh, you know what? Let's go back real quick. As far yeah. as what I'm grateful for. And then we're gonna, oh, we'll sorry. Get into this a little, no, 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 no. Whatever. We'll get into it. A little, we'll get into Me. more detail later on. But my new living situation. So far, I'm really grateful for that. Oh, so, my God. Know, let's review fun. some of your no, old living let, situations first. Yeah but, little, yeah, but the last one was the cream of the cop. And I want to hold that. We'll, we'll talk about that. Did you say that. cream of the cop? Yeah, that yeah, was I did because I dropped telling. it off. That yeah, was telling, cream though. Cream of the cops. Yeah. All the cops. Go ahead. So describe your last living situation, which was a nightmare. Well. Okay, my last living situation. Fuck. Um, I swear to God. Uh, talk about okay, worst roommates I ever had. This is definitely the thing. Okay, so I because you're a guy who's uh, had roommates your whole life. That's just been your bag mostly. Yeah, well, because I was from, I lived in San Francisco most of my life. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, roommates are just a part of life. There, San Francisco and New York, the two places where you can be in your 40s. Say, I have a roommate, and people are like, "You're a loser." Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's legit. Only one. Wow. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, so. Okay, so yeah, I had this uh, this roommate situation. I had to move it. I didn't. Yeah. Okay. No. The fucking, get there, uh, Tommy. Get there. Where do you even start on this one? That's the problem with it. Basically, uh, I described it as living in a circle K for a while. You know. What I mean? So basically, when I first moved in there, we had the owner. 
uh, who uh, who said he was going to be there quite a bit. I didn't know he was crashing on the couch in the living room. That was his idea. Uh, then there was like one, two, three, four rooms, uh, and he rented all of them. And I think like he basically was, like, "Hi, you want to live in my house?" And that was how you got That's people to fucking live the in way. the house, dude. God damn it, it was crazy. Uh, because he like we I call it Circle K because we had uh, we had uh, like the wino. We had a wino. One of mm-hmm. the guys in there smelled so he drank so much shitty beer. He smelled like beer when he sweated. Uh, we had a crazy. I met that guy. He's uh, a, 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 a terror. Just, just a douchebag. Yeah, well, that's, that was a great thing. He was just he was just a, a sad and pathetic little douchebag uh-huh. who was and he was because of that he was just hyper um, passive aggressive. That was all. Yeah, that's all he could do. You know, give me some examples. Like, oh well, like uh, like one time I, I go open my room and I uh, walk into my room and there's a there's a note slipped under my door. My favorite thing. I'm I'm saving this this thing. I'm gonna frame it. Uh, it's a note from him going, uh, "Stop snoring." Oh no, I need to sleep too. With like three exclamation marks behind yeah. it, and uh, stop snoring. And I was like, I don't know how to do that part. Yeah. Uh, and I and I moved my, my the head of my bed away from the wall that we were sharing mm-hmm. over to the other side, and that's kind of the best I could do under the circumstance. But that was like, yeah. stop snoring. I need to sleep too. Like everything was like that kind of thing. Well, know? wait a minute. I don't think you're telling the story very well, Tommy, because you're sort oh, of by pointing the way, out the one thing that is murderous about you. I do you. snore like a motherfucker. That's it's, for sure. it's, it's, I mean, you, everyone says that about someone. It yeah. is, re- I have, I have I come, talking about he had an apartment on the second floor of a, a building one time and I entered the, like, you know, an apartment that has like, uh, it's like an old house split into like eight apartments if you've ever seen those. And so I opened the front door at the bottom level, the front door at the bottom level, and can hear him snoring from behind his door on the second floor. That's not It that's was. Not he true. is a nightmare yeah, to be yeah, in the I same building like as Tom. Yeah, I snore badly. I yeah, granted that. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, so, so just like, so that was the one. And then we had, uh, we had another guy, uh, there was like a family of four living in one fucking bedroom, yeah. two kids, yeah. a mom and baby daddy, and baby daddy was a felon. Uh, uh, turns out uh, my landlord uh, was a drug dealer and uh, on bail, uh, which all this got left out of the biography when I was moving into the place. Um, oh, well, naturally. Oh, well, natural mall. So we decided to close. So everybody started moving out last month when somebody kicked open the door and robbed him. Uh, robbed the house by by uh, use of firearms. Uh, well, I wasn't there. I don't know. I'm but assuming they didn't touch my room. They, they, mm. they stole a bunch of his. Of course not. They stole a bunch of his stuff. Well, they might have taken a sweet hat rack. You ungrateful cunt. All right, thank you. I got to mention Tom got me a nice hat rack for my for, office for Christmas. Okay, go ahead. Anyway, so um, yeah, so so it was like, well, we're gonna clear everybody out. So everybody cleared out. I was the last to move out. Yeah. Uh, middle of the month yesterday is when I finally got out of the fucking place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in order to uh, clean up the place, uh, the landlord. Uh, decided to take a, uh, get a couple of his friends to come over and uh, you know paint and sweep and clean up and yep. all that kind of good stuff uh, and also paid them with shelter in the in the house so they like these dangerous crackheads living in the same fucking house as me ah uh, it just got to be nightmarish yesterday as we were driving away uh, one of them just uh, bummed money off of me and tried to bum money off of. Uh, Joseph here. Family so. number two, yeah. No, it was just a nightmare situation. It really yeah, I mean, okay. at one point, the fucking landlord, like I said, Circle K, at one point, the landlord uh, decided to put up uh, uh, cameras yep. in all the public spots in the house. You lived in some bad spots, too. I remember one place that just terrified me, a uh, place that you lived. Oh, in it, San Francisco, the, uh, the apartment, the, uh, the the hotel? The hotel you lived in, yeah. and it was like someone had hung themselves in the <laughs> hall from you. <laughs> And it was, oh, there, was God, there was, was two awful. bathrooms on each floor, and, and 
uh, uh, two yeah. showers and inevitable once a week somebody would shit in one of the showers. Yeah, at that point I'd, I would just live in a car. Honestly, it would <laughs> yeah, just, well, it's I just terrible. I, I didn't own a car. Where can yeah. you park it? <laughs> it was in San Francisco. Where's I going to park that? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. All right, fair enough. Hey, what do you um, what do you think of um? Something's come up. I wanted to ask you as a as a uh, comedian. Well, that's, I'll pretend you're a person too, and that's the um. The whole, um, uh, it's called swim at risk performances. I think I know how you feel, but it's wrapped around something particular. And that's that, um, you know, good old Louis CK is, is back, um, performing, uh, daintily, I guess I'd say like he did a, he's done a few spots in the last few months at the comedy cellar in New York. Um, then he did like a full, like 70 minute set in Paris. Really? About a month ago. Apparently has a, a French girlfriend now. Oh, you perfect. know the, you know sounds, the French. <laughs> I think German would be better, but yeah, right. but or, um, or and, Thai and she's and um, he he ended up doing a full like seventy minute set. You mm-hmm. know, of course, Paris. I don't give a shit about anything. So they're you know applause. And so he comes oh, back. The Americans are there uptight and not sophisticated. He comes back to do an un- about un- jacking off in doorway. <laughs> <laughs> he um he comes back to do uh, a drop it at the comedy cellar and and the thing is if you if you're not um a, a connoisseur of um of stand up uh, comedy you may not know this but uh, particularly in the bigger cities and in more established places like the comedy cellar or the store in L A um you get drop ins and so it's like you know you might get like David Spade for instance just deciding one night he wants to work out some material and and in a way the rule is always there's always been a hierarchy this is a sort of side note. And that's that if David Spade shows up and you're nobody, you're getting bumped. Pretty much, and yeah. you just accept that. Like that, every everyone probably who's been around long enough has been bumped by somebody who's big news. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's cool for people, even if you're not a David Spade fan, for instance, or Ray Romano or something like that. It's like, holy shit, Ray Romano and Jerry Seinfeld dropped yeah, into the course. cellar tonight. Like, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of interesting. And so um, Louis C.K. has been doing that. And it's it's worked kind of perfectly for him because it's like he needs to be kind of dropping in slowly if he's going to come back right yeah, yeah, yeah. um and and it's a swim at risk policy in these places meaning like you can't really you know you can't really control what who or what's going to be or the, even the material or the person's gonna be on the stage so it's like you pay for the like the risk I, what did Dave Chappelle say? Like, I get paid for the attempt, like evil Knievel, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, so the comedy seller having experienced a drop in from Lucy K before, and having had most people respond positively, but some people walking out of the club, like I don't know how I felt about that. Right? Decided to do this. Look, if if someone like a Louis C.K. drops in, and you're like, I don't care for this, feel free to leave, and I'll refund your money, including your meal. Really? Like it's well. So, okay, so that's they, when you swim at risk is the, the risk. Is, this is for the client, for the for the, for the patron. Swim at risk is usually for the patron, and so yeah. the comedy cell is saying like swim at risk with an asterisk, and the asterisk is uh, given situations that are happening here. We want to sort of be, you know, accommodating, so we'll even sort of refund something if you if you need to leave. And of course, people could take advantage of that, but I don't think most people are going to go to the comedy cellar watch a show and then go like I didn't like it give me my money back it's just sort of a good faith thing that most people don't but what happened was um, this woman she was there with her boyfriend and she started heckling um, CK which again I think heckling's bullshit Enjoy for that. different for different, with that. for different reasons <laughs> right but it was about it was like take your dick out why don't you take your dick out <clears throat> and CK weirdly it was like was surprised like excuse me and it's like that doesn't sound like Louis CK <laughs> but um she she came out and of course she's interviewed and it's like a lot of people uh, are like uh, you know uh, what a hero like she really she's such yeah, a hero I, yeah, I think yeah, Rogan yeah. Um, 
uh, tweeted like uh, a picture of her like that said uh, some heroes don't wear capes. <laughs> but like, I'm assuming that was uh, that was erotic there. Uh, just well, just back this up. If this were Kaufman, wouldn't that be a totally different scenario? Like Andy Kaufman? Yeah, like yeah, like of Kaufman because he might have paid that fucking person. That was so, my first thought when you said this woman was yelling, take your dick out. Like maybe he put a plant in the audience or something like that. But, but he didn't apparently handle it well or something like that. So. Well, there's the idea of, of, of heckling to begin with, right? Yeah, Beyond yeah. the sort of swim at risk. But I mean, you're a stand-up. So um, I for, well, talk, first walk off, me I through heckling. I, I got I to admit, I hate this fucking concept, okay? I don't like this concept at all. Look, if Adolf Which Hitler, concept? If Adolf Hitler showed up at, at, my, at my show and started doing stand-up, I would want to see that. I get that, but oh, you mean how uninteresting people are? No, 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 no. I'm talking about like how like I just don't get this. This well, I'm offended by. I, I just I'm not. Offended no, that's by what it. I mean. How it, like it, people? I, I've never gotten sorry. But I've never understood like guys who are kind of homophobic and they'll go like, "Hey, look, I don't care." What two guys do in their own bedroom? I'm giving them a southern accent for some reason. I, guess, I don't care yeah. what they do, as long as they're not like making out and blowing each other in front of me. And I always think, like, if I saw two guys blowing each other on the sidewalk, that would be amazing. Carry, carry what are you on, talking dude. about? You're not touching. You're not playing with the balls enough. But it's Get like, on that. It's like the same thing. Like someone yeah. you hate on stage or who's a who's a, like a nightmare to you is actually even more interesting. All, and also, you know, I'm I'm I make no bones about this. If somebody famous is on stage, I kind of want to see that course, just to be yeah. able to say later on, I saw this person yeah. at this time. And it was, you know, it was what it was. You know, even if I don't like him, I, if, like, if Jerry Seinfeld walked onto a stage, I wouldn't leave the room. I'm not a fan of Jerry Seinfeld. You're not stand-up. a fan of Jerry Seinfeld. Not a stand-up. No, okay, uh, the show is really fucking funny. Interesting. But his stand-up, I find really banal. Uh, okay. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, I'm not a huge fan of Jerry Seinfeld, even though I can respect him. Yeah. But I'd want to be able to say later on, I saw Jerry Seinfeld. Sure, Absolutely. sure, Fucking sure. I get that. Now okay. that being said, yeah, we're in a new world, man. Yeah. We're in a new world of sensitivities and shit like that. Um, so I think we, I think that's actually not a bad policy for a comedy club to put that to, to, no. to acknowledge that up front so they don't get, that doesn't bite them in the ass later on. Sort of. I mean, I actually walked that's out of a movie one business. time that I hated so much, um, that I actually said, you know what? I hated them. After 30 minutes, I walked out. Can I get my money back or can I see another movie? And mm-hmm. and they were surprised, but they're like, mm, I guess so. So I mean, I understand it as a also, concept. Also, if you wait till the end of the show and do that, go fuck yourself. You shouldn't get anything back. Well, there's that, but also like, here's the thing: that lady would never fucking stand up mm-hmm. in a, a crowded movie theater, right? And be like, I hate this movie. So she was white. Is what you're saying? That's. <laughs> Okay, um, but you know, you get my point. Like, yeah, you would yeah, never yeah. fucking listen. You're not ballsy, lady. You would never just stand up and declare, "I yeah. hate this movie," and so no one else. Because that's everybody in the room has to has to has to support you in at one level or another. I don't like something, so yeah. I'm gonna make it so that no one else can like it. It's yeah. something I've never fucking understood. Well, that's actually okay. So that's interesting. That's almost a new. That's almost a new. Uh, even though you said it, yeah, uh, that's a, <laughs> that's almost a new kind of heckling because that's very that's not what your usual heckling is like. Your usual heckling is people who honestly are actually honestly trying to they think they're helping. They think they're part of the show. They're drunk. They're yeah. drunk enough to think that they're a good part of the show. Not just that they're part of the show, but they're adding something to the to the occasion. And they never. Mm-hmm. It's almost inevitable that one of them. If you get a serious heckler at the end of the show, if they're still there, yeah, uh, they'll come up to you at the end of the show. You should pay me for helping you oh, or some shit like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I always grit my teeth and, and uh, I, I don't encourage hecklers after no. the show. I know a lot of comics who will like schmooze them and go, "Oh yeah, sure, absolutely." Yeah, I won't do that. But uh, no. yeah, so it's. 
but but this is a new this is a new this is a kind of a new kind of heckling. The politically they're, they're having yeah. the backing. It's a political uh, objection political heckling. Cra- yeah, that's yeah. interesting. It's Ooh. weird. It's that's, weird. That's an ugly wrinkle because yeah. it's hard to fight, and it's particularly hard to fight when it's a woman. Like as a as a stand up, you're you're really fucked. What do you mean? Because most stand-up are men, and therefore it's like a power dynamic. You have the microphone. Well, it is a huge power dynamic just from that standpoint. But also, you know, drunk women are really—they're—they tend to be very hard. There's a line with drunk with women that that as a comic you can't go across when you're when you're trying to shut them down from heckling. You do, and you do, and you wake you you waken the hackles of everybody in the room. If it's a guy, fuck him. You can you can tear him apart all you want verbally. But there's there's some lines with female with female hecklers. That it, it's it's very sensitive very quickly at some point. Would it, like uh, I, no, I'm not sure I know what you mean. I well, mean, I, if if, it, if a guy was heckling uh, heckling, yeah. I could call him a cunt and get away with it. Probably you couldn't do that with a woman. No, heckling? not a chance. No, because then the audience would turn on me. What audiences turn? Audiences, if you go too rough on a woman uh, on a woman heckler, audiences will turn. I would think that would be hysterical because it's sort you of would. Well, that's you. I mean, because it's because comedy or comedy, as I like to pronounce it, <laughs> commodity. Commodity is um, like one of the elements is the unexpected, right? Which is why I think Should punching be. punching down is is a fair game for for windows of time where it's still fresh, right? Right. So to sort of like shit on a conceptually, I would never, I would never, uh, you know, actually if there were. <laughs> Someone with, right, this with, is getting weird and dark. Somehow. Someone with like obvious like polio and crutches or something because the vaccine didn't reach them or something wherever they live was was in the audience and <laughs> somebody came in with scurvy and I were on stage. I would ship. never like shit on them, but but the idea of of like shitting on a polio kid it is funny as a concept because it's <laughs> yeah. unexpected. Like who's gonna do that? Right? right? right like right. there's that shirt like always cracks me up. That's it in big letters. It's uh, I'm a I'm a one of those douchey funny shirt guys. Yeah. Um. It, the, in big letters it says I beat cancer, and in small letters underneath it it says and by cancer I mean kids. <laughs> and it's like that's hysterical because you can't fucking shit on cancer kids, but there it is, right? Uh-huh. Punching down is the unexpected. That's why I think like yeah, I know the idea generally of like attacking a woman is is sort of like. You know, it, it's distasteful as opposed to attacking a man. Mm-hmm. But but in the context of a comedy club, I think it would be hysterical. You would think that, but but you got to think about it. Like you, you know, what's really funny. Think about like it. The, uh, the, the, the dynamics of your average Saturday night show are not what you would think they are. The the, the person you're playing to, it, it's mm-hmm. really weird. But the the person to keep happy in a Saturday night show is the is the women in the audience. Why? Why? Because ninety percent of the people in there are on a date. The yeah. guys will laugh at anything. But women will laugh at certain things. But the guys will always be looking at their dates at the corner of their eye because at the end of the night they got pussy on the brain. I'm not kidding. That really is the dynamic of a Saturday night show. It's like, very funny that way. I went to one of your shows and and um, I forget it might have been the great comedian Danny Minch, but but <laughs> he did this sort of. He pointed at my wife and I and he Whoa. said something and I was like, oh no. <laughs> and it's so stupid to feel oh no because we came to a comedy club like. Right. And it's like, oh no, he's gonna say something about our marriage, or like, you know, like it's one of those sort of insecurities, right? Like uh-huh. you're in the audience, mm-hmm. and he said something, and I remember a split second, like 
like not turning my head, but almost tearing my eyes out of my sockets to sort of tur- to look and see. And she was laughing. I was like, "Oh, thank God!" That's what You're I'm right. talking about. No, right absolutely there. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred percent. So, so it's with that same that. So, so the women are actually the power, the the real power uh, in a comedy club. It's really funny that way, as far as audience goes. Yeah. Now, uh, heavily underrepresented on stage, to be sure. All that I agree with that. Well, there's all that sort of like um, uh, psychological, maybe anthropological sort of stuff about like gender, right? Which is like. Um, that men are uh, more interested in, in things, women are more interested in people, men are more interested in ideas, which is not to say smarter, or mm-hmm. but just as like an idea, an abstract idea, women are more interested in um, connection. Sure. Right? So there's like all that sort of stuff to play with that no matter how much you bring it into um, uh, uh, a comedy club with the agreement, we're still bringing our sort of like who we are Culturally oh, yeah. or maybe biologically, it's yeah. why women are like they dominate the um, the uh, medical field. Mm-hmm. Women are um, about half of, of doctors are women. It's like forty eight percent, right? Should it should be a little more, given what I'm saying? Right. But then all the nurses and the nurses, or like ninety percent of the nurses, the nurses are the one who do all the fucking. Oh, yeah, the do doctors the know part. stuff, and then the nurses do care for you. Yeah, right. Right, mm-hmm. so that's all. Oh, by the way, did you um, hear about this? Uh, you were mentioning earlier something with this Texas. Ruling with Obamacare? Whoa, whoa, ah, whiplash right there. What happened? Uh, you, we, we're changing our topics really quickly here. Um, no, yeah, t- t- well, yeah, uh, so apparently Obamacare, the, a judge in you're Texas. You're smooth as butter, by the way. I got to tell you, you're smooth, <laughs> what are you talking about? smooth Listen back on this, you're going to be ashamed man. at your fucking transition there. <laughs> uh, females, speaking of which, we were thinking about I thought it was a great transition, but here's what you do. You announce it. Yeah. Your announcer. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm fucking... Obamacare. And here's so, that anyway, Texas, rule, uh, Texas this. judge has ruled... <laughs> What's next on this piece of paper? Joan, you're doing a good one over there, man. Go ahead. Uh, Texas judge has uh, ruled Obamacare unconstitutional. So now it's uh, now it's official. The attack has, has genuinely, uh, on a legal level, has, has uh, taken on Obamacare. So it's kind of a drag. Gonna... I'm a little bummed by this. Why? Um, because, uh, well, I work in health insurance and, uh, I, I have to say it's unfortunately, (laughs) it's it's done a lot of good for, uh, the Obamacare has actually done a lot of good for people in a lot of ways. I mean, there's some problems with it that are sort of uh, institutional and have to do with the fact that ultimately our insurance is still fucking for profit, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, that's a problem guys. I'm sorry. Yeah, maybe. I, th- I thought one of the things, that I remember reading an article in Harper's a few years ago, and one of the problems that th- Oof, that- Reading an article <laughs> Well, that's the fucking, it's Oof. not the problem with Harper's, it's a problem with me, because that, that means that I read an article for 40 minutes five years ago, and now I know everything about Obamacare. <laughs> Right, and I okay. will carry it. So I'm doing it now, mm. you know, years later. But it was the writer was talking about how Obamacare, whether it was the, 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 the poor construction of Obamacare itself right. or it was the compromises made to sort of introduce it or whatever it was, was that, that Obamacare has hierarchies. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's still sort of divided by a class system, which was kind of the problem with with the healthcare system to begin with. I think what's really, you know, uh, what, what people seem to forget, well, people have actually forgotten, is it wasn't Obamacare. It was, Obamacare, that's just part of the fucking rhetoric that's grown up around it. It was, it was the Affordable Care Act, yep. 
And it was a mess. It was a mess coming out of the door because it wasn't initially a mess. It was when when the Republican uh, House, when the Republican House and Senate uh, got into it, and he had to start compromising. Things had to get yeah, but changed wasn't that radically. Built, but wasn't that built into the whole sort of gold, silver, bronze? Those were levels built into the Affordable uh, Health Care Act. I mean, there were lots of other shitty compromises that that the shitty Republicans, if you take that position, yeah. But but wasn't the part of the the structure? Of so-called Obamacare was that it had three levels. Mm, I don't remember that part. Uh, we're not really dealing. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen that part. Mm, convenient, I'm sorry, I'm Mr. I, I never, Mr. Libra Snowflake. I, I was too busy. Mm. I was too busy watching like movies for the people instead of reading Harper's back then. <laughs> movies for the people. That's right. You're the Che Guevara. I was, I was too busy watching cartoons <laughs> for my brothers and sisters out there. I was too busy buttering up my veins before I became a health concierge yeah. where I work. Mm, Transition boy. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and it's it's hard to sort of get around. It's one. Of, it's like the border thing. Like um, there's lots of room for changing my mind and stuff. Are you going to sleep? <laughs> No, I'm looking at my notes. Yeah. My notes, Tommy. Um, it's sort of like uh, there's lots of room for for talking me in and out of these separate positions because I'm fucking malleable as a, f- a salmon. That's pretty accurate. Malleable as a salmon. <laughs> Description of who I am. The word. Malleable in malleability. Yeah. yeah. Um, and mm, that's but, tender pink flesh. But in the end, it's sort of like ah, uh, yeah, but you shouldn't separate like families. From their children uh-huh. for two months. That's just, I mean, just on a human like you throw mm. all fucking politics out the window, like a humanity. And it's the same thing, like, I guess with healthcare, it's like, I don't really understand where there's a conversation about whether we should allow people to live if possible. <laughs> I don't get that one at all. I'm with you. And I don't think it's like a particularly like liberal point of view or anything. It's just sort of like, Isn't that a few, yeah, it's like about, a, a human thing. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, here's the thing. Here, okay. Now, here's where the argument gets weird. I, I don't know that you can do anything about it. It's too complex. There is a little bit of an unfairness, though, Tom. Uh, you know, like you know, you're you're a, you're a smoker. You've cut way down, mm-hmm. right? But you're still a smoker. Um, I smoked for thirty years, right. right? So it's like if if either of us needs um, health care for cancer, mm-hmm. but and we can't afford it, it's a little bit like yeah, but why? Kind of like fuck us. Like we are being, you know what I'm saying? Like why? We might be heading in that direction. <laughs> Well, that because, might happen. Because one of the great things that, that Obama, Obama, I fucking, I even hate using the phrase. But he one used of the great it. things. Yeah, exactly. So, one of the, so even he copped it. One of the great, one of the things Obamacare did that was actually really important yeah. was it took people with existing conditions and put them put them in a position to be able to have fucking insurance again, by law. I know, but what I'm saying is, in no, those in, situations, in, in some places, you know, go on. In those situations, is that really fair? Well, it is. If they had person, well, the, you and me smoking, that's one thing. But somebody yeah. with polio. <laughs> from the nineteen polio, we choose the word. Somebody, somebody with bubonic somebody, plague. Somebody with the nineteen nineteen influenza <laughs> stigmata didn't, didn't have a call, but they're still, but they're still in that same boat, right? So you know, it, so but so many things are like that, is what I'm saying. Like a lot of, I, I mean, mean, if they had, they been better, you know, children or. No, but a lot of a lot of had polio. a lot of uh, in this country particularly, a lot of our ailments are self inflicted. I mean, people are walking around with fucking disasters for bodies, and it's just constantly hammering on I the shake side. My I'm thinking head. of no one at all in the head. studio, but but the point is, and and I've done it too. And it's it's sort of like, yeah, to what degree can I keep fucking hammering? You know. Uh, uh, drinking and overeating and smoking, and then go like, "Here's my problem. You mm-hmm. fix it." 
And at the same time, I would never want to deny that person service if right. they're if they're dying. Of course not. But of also, like, not. I do it with the parentheses of like, yeah, fuck you. Well, maybe like, what if you like you, you take care of them, but the like once they're saved, you can kick them in the balls or something like that. Yeah. Well, uh, now that I think about it, I would just slap them in the face. Uh, Wait, what? <laughs> just poke them. You get to poke them <laughs> once in the tummy. <laughs> you know, you can only hope and pray that you'd have a doctor like Mister Sidney Poitier. <laughs> Oh my God, we are not good. At I'm this. great at transitions. You, You're terrible you at them. Rotten. Um, rotten. So we're, so today we're we are like talking a, rotten malleable salmon over here. <laughs> malleable salmon. <laughs> we are talking about the great uh, Sydney, Sydney Poitier. Poitier today. I've been wanting to do a show on Sydney Poitier for a long time. You know what's really funny is we've kind of done about three shows on him already. He might. He's the most under. He's like the the most underrepresented star we've done the most of. I think. Okay, so he he was in uh, for Love of Ivy, and that was our Abby Lincoln show. I want to say episode twenty one or twenty or something like something that. Like that. He was in another one. I'm trying to remember which one that was. I don't remember, but I remember that he was in one and blah 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 blah. Yeah. Blah. Anyways, here we are. We finally gotten to the great the great Sidonator. The Sydney. Okay. The, po- the, po- the Potier. The Potier man. Yes. Sydney Potier. By the way, I mean, first of all, I I don't know. I'm I, I'm not even doing an analogy here. He's just one of those people. He may not be everyone's favorite, but everybody likes him. Nobody dislikes Sydney Potier. Well, that's almost a secret. Like that's like the secret to his success in a certain sense. Boy. He's he's uh, he's uh, well, uh, you know, he was the representative of black acting mm-hmm. when when he came out. Uh, he was the, he was well spoken. He was polite. Oh, he was immensely no. likable. That made, that that had a lot to do <laughs> well with his early spoken. success. Yeah, yeah, I think it did. Yeah, right. uh, yeah, no, I, I know where I'm coming from, but. Believe me, watch these movies we watched, and you'd be like, "Oh yeah, that's what they really thought back then." It really it made a difference in the mindset of the time. Wait, he was he was an elegant person and seemed lovable and likable and charming as fuck, and that helped. That that was that was his secret. That put a pin in what you said. I don't you don't need to explain it now, but but remember it. Like that's what they were really thinking back then. So this I mean, first at, movie will get us at some point. We'll okay. Well, so, yeah. I mean, one of the things also is like um, I think that he um, exudes integrity. That too. I mean, as a as a man, as an actor, as that character, whatever character he is, everything almost Gregory every Peck time. brings to the table. Everything Gregory Peck. Yep. And um, he's the uh, black Henry Gregory Fonda. Peck. Yeah, the black Gregory Peck Fonda. Yeah. Like that, just just <laughs> yep. like the great, like like uh, like an admirable human being. He just he had that quality. Yeah, he definitely has integrity. I mean, I'm wondering what separates him from, for instance, uh, Harry Belafonte, who also, by the way. I mean, well, that's kind of one of the things, by the way, is, is that, and, and this, we'll get into this with the first film, but, but I think as an actor, people like Belafonte and, and Poitier, there's that real Jackie Robinson quality, mm-hmm. which is like you, you have to sort of rise above the rest to sort of even join the rest, right? Right. And that means obviously sort of like enduring the, the, the slings and arrows of, of, um, Racist America. Oh, absolutely, and and part of the sinks and arrows of it, of it as well is is maybe there was a better black actor out there, but yeah, Sidney Poitier was not threatening. I hate to say it. It's well, it's, that's a rough thing, but that's no, important. That's quality. exactly the thing because he was unthreatening. Well, so uh, um um uh, uh fucking what's his name? <laughs> that guy, James Baldwin. James Baldwin um is sort of said this about. Sidney Poitier, mm-hmm. he said this about Martin Luther King to some mm-hmm. degree. So, so you're already 
talking about good company. Yeah. But he pointed out something which I think is true. So like you take Martin Luther King and then you take um, Medgar Evers and you take like Malcolm X. Right. And it's like, why is it that it's Martin Luther King who gets the holiday first and who's like the always at our center? And the the reason is his methodology. Yeah. And it was a great methodology. And it's interesting. It's what makes made him a great leader. But ultimately, it's like, you know, nonviolence, civil disobedience. Yeah is the least threatening to us, to white America. So it's like, it's, you know, and and Malcolm X, who didn't exactly say kill Whitey, but it was fucking in there. He wouldn't have minded. Is sort of like, well, that's... (laughs) And in a way, it's sort of like, so so Baldwin points to Sidney Poitier's um, a film from 1957, I want to say. And it's, have you ever seen The Defiant Ones with Poitier and, and Tony Curtis? You know, I never have. It's the corniest of all premises, which right, is right. that. The black guy, the white guy. Who are chained together right. and who escape. And they're going to have to escape chained together, right? Like, <laughs> to learn to cooperate. <laughs> Instead of a black guy dragging a white guy down the, down the road. Or the other, or the or the other way around, right. which happens. So, so um, they're chained together. They're, you know, that's the premise. That's the mm-hmm. conflict. Right. Um, t- Tony Curtis is, is a bigot who hates blacks. I think. I think, um, as I recall, Poitier is, is a guy who's not fond of white people either. And so um, they break their chains at one point, and a, and a train comes by, and Poitier jumps on, and Tony Curtis is um, like running to catch up. And he's like, I can't make it. I can't make it. It's one of those slow motion scenes where Poitier reaches his hand out to pull <laughs> to pull Curtis up, and Curtis still can't make it. And, and so... Tony Curtis falls uh-huh. and Poitier jumps off the train. The fuck and Baldwin <laughs> is looking at it and he's saying, White America was like, all oh, right, Harmony. And Black America was like, get the fuck back on that train, you <laughs> asshole. And it's sort of like. And I'm saying that too now. Of course. Yeah, of course. Get on the train. Leave Curtis behind. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But it's sort of like that's what he points out is that there's nothing wrong with Poitier or Martin Luther King. It's yeah. that we need to examine why it is that we go toward them first. What we need to examine is why we. Or what's interesting to examine is why we so readily go like, oh, Sidney Poitier, a great African-American actor. And he is. And none of this diminishes him because he is. And also, like, you maybe give him credit, although I I could never know, for being himself acutely aware as it's yeah, not like Jackie Robinson, be, right? You know, Jackie Robinson might have been behind those fucking eyes, going like, "You motherfuckers, right. I hate you right now." Mm-hmm. For all I know, Poitier was doing that too, but it was like that even makes it more admirable. Right. But and, and he, but and he, and he always played the game. He was always, he was always that. Yeah, you know. And the thing is, is that and there's a certain amount to which those people, you know, people like him or Jackie Robinson get a little bit of shit back from, uh, from you know, from. Uh, black people like yep. moving forward, you sure. know, they're like, oh, the Uncle Tom syndrome or something like that, or yeah, like uh, with Jay Silverheels was called Uncle Tomahawk by a lot of Native Americans. Oh, this Americans. is a Native American, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so you know, that's I mean, that's kind of tragic, but but it's but it's one of those things. And, and Sammy Davis Jr., poor fucker, man, yeah. But the, the, those were so there's a sense in which these are you know, early actors, these sort of breakthrough actors are considered a little bit compromised, mm-hmm. but. I don't see a way around it. Like, like what they did. I guess they they had to, by necessity, be compromised in order to, to in order to work. This is why, by the way, I I object to people who object too strongly to um, either like on the literal level, like literary criticism, or like um, revisionist history. Uh-huh. History is nothing but revisionism. 
Right. I mean, it is only re-examining events and seeing what do they mean to us now right, right, beyond right. the fact and how mm-hmm. do I absorb them? Because um, the only sort of hope we have is that as time marches on, someone like two assholes who have a podcast nobody listens to goes back and sort of says, I think this is what he was doing. Right. You know, rather than just leaving it for like whoever reacted to him at a certain time right, period. Because right. you can't leave it in the hands of people who were reacting to it right then. Because they're too new to it. They're too fresh. They don't know what he's, you know, they only see him as like the good Negro, for right. instance, or something lacking like that. The, lacking the context of where maybe it's it's heading and yep. maybe will it one day end. I don't know how yeah. that works. Okay, so I think the first film... That we're wow. going to look at here is fucking, fucking amazing, fascinating <laughs> fucking for this mind blowing, <laughs> mind blowing film. And I saw this years ago and I completely I forgot about it never until recently. Seen this movie and I love anything with Sidney Poitier and Richard Widmark. Richard Widmark. So we're talking 1950. This is Sidney Poitier's first um, credited film at all, and is he's really? co-starring oh, with Richard Widmark. Hugely. Right. This is 1950s No Way Out. Yeah. So this is weird because he plays a he plays a, a doctor who's just like past the board certification or right. something like that. Nervous, unsure of himself. Definitely. It's a town that I'm not sure that it's named. It could. I, it they're, seems they're like Chicago or something. But yeah, yeah. it um, seems very midwestern. Yeah, and um, maybe St. Louis. And it's it's five four or five years before he plays a a, a hooligan teenager in the blackboard jungle he is plays this before a, blackboard jungle like by five years oh shit i never realized I he's totally such a baby face in the beginning that. right because city <laughs> wow. portier by the time the 60s came around he kind of even though he looked young and studly, he had yeah. like a, this wisdom this was kind of pre-wisdom face portier wow. right Fuck. okay so that's the scenario so it's like and it's interesting because it's like He's not um, a black doctor in a colored hospital, right? He's a, He's a black doctor making the making the transition. Yeah, getting hit in the mainstream. Yeah, and apparently, like you know, uh, crossover. A very, very, very good doctor, and which is sort of super be- conscientious. It's super, it's super believable because of the things we mentioned before, the Jackie Robinson quality that mm-hmm. a doctor would have to be like really exceptional. fucking exceptional, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's in this hospital, and and. Um, one of the things, uh, 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 there are things I like and don't like. I love the film. I'm just going to say that. I think the film is amazing. I think it's a must watch, man. But there's, but, a, there's some really interesting context going on here that, just, that are completely missed, that, that are yeah. lost today. But go on, go on. Well, go on. yeah, no. Well, I was going to say, like, there are some sort of like setups that are um, clumsy and I just cringe and I hate them. And there yeah. are some that I think are fucking amazingly brave. So, so one of the things is you have this the, the head doctor mm-hmm. who's sort of taken Sidney Poitier under his wings as this newly certified doctor. And that head doctor, I guess necessarily for the time, um, is all about like um, – you know, someone will say he like don't, he doesn't see color. Yeah, exactly. Like someone will say like that about Poitier, like he's a good black doctor. I just say he's a good doctor. Black, white, polka dot. I don't care. And it's like, oh, f- you know, oh. I want a polka dot doctor now. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Hello. Well, now that Obamacare is going away, you might just get it, my friend. <laughs> Transition back uh, and forth. Okay. So, um, so there's that, but then there's the elevator sort of operator, the classic sort of colored uh, elevator right. driver, I guess they call them. Mm-hmm. Who, who driver? Didn't they call them drivers? I think operator. Okay, so so 
who like when he's alone in the elevator with Sidney Poitier is like telling him, what are you doing these white motherfuckers you're playing their right. game and it's like ah we start off yeah. with an acknowledgement of something I think 1950 there's people, an acknowledgement of there's an acknowledgement in a, in a Hollywood movie that black people aren't treated awesome well it, it's not just that it's I mean that that is that it's ballsy to fucking me. ballsy you're yeah. right that is there's that but here's something that I think today we don't recognize enough and that's this um, you're not going to be liked by people. And sometimes you're not going to be liked by people because of your fucking, what you look like, right? right. Yep. I remember Patrice O'Neill fucking put it really well one time, and he was saying, like, um, if you're Jewish, there's Hitler's mustache. But if you're black, all we got is your fucking skin. Right. There is no, like, historical figure to point to. There's not a good one anyway. Yeah, yeah. Right? It was so all of us for a It's sort of like time. all of you, and it's sort of like, that's what's great about that. Like, the scenes is, is you know, Poitier is, is sort of, quote-unquote, kind of making it, right? He's yeah. making his way through the meritocratous world, right, of, of you know, the, the fantasy as if that really existed, that. by yeah, the way. Exactly. But he's making his way through, and he's being accepted by the colorblind, you know, main doctor. Yeah. But there are fucking people who were like, what the fuck? are you doing or playing their game and and those people aren't necessarily made uh, looking like fools right like you sort of like see yeah i could see how that would be mm-hmm. a legitimate thought that that person would have yeah um so there's that and and of course Poitier has to sort of push against it like hey man you know i'm i'm just doing my best as a doctor right and, and that i feel is a little corny too but yeah having said that the setup is amazing here. So what happens next? What did you go for? Tell us what happens. Well, okay. So they bring in. A, so he, uh, as part of his in his, uh, I don't know what it's called, but the doctors in training, blah blah blah. Um, yep. But he's working at, uh, at part at part time at the penitentiary, the local penitentiary. Right? Well, it's like they have it's they like have a jail penitentiary. They have a situation. wing of the hospital actually that's, that's they can bring in prisoners. To, oh, yeah. I missed that part. Okay. So, anyways, uh, so uh, two hoodlums, uh, the brothers, uh, get shot by the by a cop. Uh, and they bring them both in. They both get shot in the leg because that's what cops aim for, apparently, sure. <laughs> back then. Uh, anyway, so uh, they, both, they both have leg wounds. They come on into the hospital. Portier comes, uh, is, is the treating doctor. Uh, the one is verbal. His name, uh, he's played by Richard Widmark. Fabulously, by the way. A baby Richard Widmark is in this. Uh, and he obviously just doesn't, he doesn't like black people. Um, like real hard. <laughs> doesn't like like really people. fucking hard. Yeah. Like he uses, like I, he uses, uh, there were a couple of words I haven't heard in a long time yeah. uh, that are uh, racial Not slurs. since Thanksgiving. At least, yeah, the fucking turkey, yeah. Um, but uh, like, uh, so, yeah, doesn't like black people at all. We don't know. We we never get to really see the, his brother's opinion about black people because he's nonverbal during this time. No, period. no, he has. T- oh yeah, well he has two brothers, right? What, yeah, but- well yeah, yeah. The other one, the other one is uh, is a dummy. Well, there's also Again, like which is well, oh, God damn it. There's like a there's a reference to like two bad areas of town, like the white and the black slum, and it's like right. the white bad is like Beaver Town or right. something crazy like that. And the black slum is 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 Nigger Town. Yeah. yeah, let's just put it right in your face, right? So yeah, so like he comes from the the white bad area. Right. He and, and his brothers, course, right? And of course he assumes black. Sydney uh, Portia comes from uh, from Nigger Town, right? Yeah. So uh, so he's uh, so he treats the brother who's not verbal at all. He's, something's very wrong. That's not just a gunshot to the leg. Yep. He basically diagnoses a brain tumor on the Sydney Portier does the, the new doctor. Portier, yeah. yeah, who's assigned uh, to them? I mean, it's, I, you probably said that, but it's wanted to clarify. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. That's these, the clumsiness. Charges. Here, it's sort right? of like the defiant ones, like the, the white and black chain. It's like the black doctor who has like, to treat you, the white racist, right? He's just a doctor, man. 
I didn't see color. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. So that's what's going on here. And he's trying, and Cindy Portier, he's trying to just be a doctor yep. in this situation, do his best, mm-hmm. diagnosis a brain tumor, does a spinal tap on the on the brother, and boom, brother dies. Boom. So Richard Widmark, who already doesn't like black people a lot, yeah. really doesn't like this particular one because he thinks he killed his brother. So. Well, that, I think that's important the way the film handles it because um, we don't we, we see that, that Sidney Putty is going to do his spinal tap on the brother who's sort of non-responsive. Right. Um, but, but Widmark just sees a black guy messing with his brother. Sticking and a rod in his brother's back. And then we hear from the other room, like, help, help. And then the, the camera comes back in and the brother's already dead. Yeah. So when in a way, what I really like about it is that you're not entirely positive that that Poitier didn't. I mean, you're sure that Poitier didn't murder him, but that right. he didn't accidentally sort of like make a mistake and kill him. And that's right. what's on the table. It's like not just the tension between the black doctor who's treating the white mm. racist patient, because that by itself could be a trope that's you know a little played out and obvious and it also has the sort of the western trope here right the the old west which is like the th- the three like brothers who yeah, hate yeah, the yeah. one guy right, right? right, right. well and there's also this other thing too which is and this is huge in race relations this is this, this, the untalked about little element to the to, to race relations in this country yeah. as far as i can tell yeah. is also richard widmark he's not an educated man richard yeah. widmark's yeah, education yeah. comes from what he sees and what he saw Looked like this. It looked like murder. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. That's legitimate. That seems yeah. legitimate. That's almost legitimate at that point of the movie. Well, I, th- what this film sort of triggered in me was um, when I was in grad school. I worked at a, a, a nut house. Is what I did. I worked overnights. Uh, at for, worked is an interesting word. People. <laughs> I I worked at a place uh, that housed. Um, I would say. I would say almost criminally insane young people. Right. Um, and the thing is, the same thing is there, not necessarily very smart because they were sort of, um, neglected yeah. as people in their education, but, but very crafty. There's a difference, right? Yep. So Widmark yep. is very, very crafty. Like with an education, he might've been something interesting, right? Might've been a, like an extraordinary person. Yeah. And you certainly don't feel sorry for him because he's just a fucking piece of shit. He's a twat. He is awful. And, but he, you, and his overuse of the word, uh, the N-word, is ridiculous. Yeah. Well, it's really, in, in, in a way, no given, given what the film is trying to do, I actually think that was a brave choice. Yeah. Be- because you don't feel sorry for Richard Widmark, but you feel sorry for the for the, the person he could have maybe been yeah. had he not been this person. Right. Right? And it's sort of like, the film is also about that, about race, but also about opportunities and destiny, right? Because right. Poitier comes from the family where it's like, you know, you see him visit home, and his brother's like studying to be a, a mailman, oh, mm-hmm. to be a civil servant, which again would be in that era a, a, a leg up, right? Not bad, right? But his brother's on the edge, where it's like, you know, do I do this thing that my brother's doing, which is kind of like put blinders on, so you can you can get through life, mm-hmm. or am I going to be more to react more humanly than than Porte seems to be to the to the racial issues that are coming up, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's that's what's happening, and and then so what you have is um, not the story you think is going to simply be about the black doctor treating the white racist turns out to be also the sort of mystery of like how do we prove that Sidney Poitier did not kill the guy, but actually right. tried to save him? Because in order to do that, they need to do an autopsy. In order yeah. to do that, they need to get permission from the family. Yeah. And Richard Widmark's the family, is the is the the important member of the family. Right. right. The, the, one, the one who could give that permission. And he will not do it because he will not exonerate the black doctor. Yeah. 
<coughs> at that point, that his racism takes over and it stops mattering to him so much that his brother's dead. Yeah. Yeah. So there's well, a great race riot. And then the one person who's sort race of riot. There's a movie. great one. And and the one person on the outside is Linda Darnell, who's the sort of like ex um sister in law who could possibly convince Richard yeah. Woodmark to give permission. Linda Darnell, by the way, this made me cringe mm. several times. Linda Darnell is a beautiful, beautiful woman yep. in her mid twenties in this role. Um it it made me cringe a lot during the last act of the movie when Richard Woodmark, who's suffering from untreated wound or something like that yeah, yeah. Um, is um, getting has a fever yeah, his leg wound starts he has a fever and he, he keeps telling Linda Darnell I'm burning up I'm burning up well you know <laughs> Linda Darnell died Shut in up. a house fire I didn't know that <laughs> in oh, the yeah. 60s oh wow he kept like I'm burning up and he just like <laughs> there's oh, your time hind- machine oh hindsight <laughs> there's your time machine people Fuck, dude. oh man there's your goddamn uh, time but, machine you know, but again the other thing the, the, what I was talking about also is that that, that sort of unspoken mm-hmm. reality of racism in America yeah. is that what we're dealing with is ignorant white people who feel superior to black people only just barely yeah. and that's and their their need to hold on to that so that's a lot you know that's one of the huge motivating forces of that that keeps racism going is this yeah the, is that particular well, dynamic it's really fucking crazy well i would but i would also say the other leg of it and this is something they didn't know but we can see it in hindsight in a film like this is the other problem with uh, racism in terms of how whites handle it is also the main doctor who's so patronizing and like I don't see color I only see a good doctor and it's right. like yeah that's also a problem yeah 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 absolutely and that maybe maybe that's a lesson we need to really learn today or something mm, like that. We mm, need to get mm. this conversation I'm started. grateful for this yeah. lesson Tommy yeah race relations done what do we move on to next wow <laughs> <laughs> all right well I'm gonna say this I don't know do you have anything more to say about no way out Fuck, great movie! I would I definitely really, uh, yeah, highly this, recommend uh, this it. Is a, this is a kind of a from a from a social from a societal sense. It's uh, a musty movie, and it, but it's also like you know if you if you were to remove that sense and go like, well, we solved it. It's still a great movie. Yeah. I mean, it's structured well. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A, it's just a great movie. Now, I'm gonna say Richard Widmark would be if there were if we did a which we should think about doing like a yearly like academy awards for things like greatest cunt in a movie. It would be Richard Widmark, except that he'd have competition in our next movie. Which is 1965's A Patch of Blue. Oh, God damn it. Yeah, okay. I do want to, like, one other thing I want to say is that as a result of uh, No Way Out, apparently Widmark and Portier became really close friends. Uh, that must have been uncomfortable for a while. Like, wow. Remember what you said to me in that movie? <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry. Sorry, well, Wood, Woodmark was, his whole, his whole bag early on was playing absolute maniacs. Yeah. And so then you get around to like Judgment at Nuremberg where he's actually he's, yeah. the heroic sort of Charlton Heston Light. Yeah, that's it's a good... really kind of what he comes to yeah, later on. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Oh, All right, fucking so, Patch of Blue. So, Patch of Blue, 1965. This movie, by the way, I forgot how fucking great this movie is in a different I might, way. I might have... this. I think this maybe cracked my top ten. It might, it might re-crack my top ten. I almost 10. cried. Like, it yeah. was like, almost like, like ninjas, with, ninjas were cutting onions <sighs> near me, man. Well, one of the things that immediately to say before even talking about the uh, movie, it, like the plot the or anything, is, the years, definitely. is uh, Jerry Goldsmith's soundtrack is incredible. Yeah. It really it works. It's super effective. You alone. Yep, Jerry Goldsmith did did oh, fabulous work here. So right. god damn it. Okay, and okay. yeah, what's her name? She's Shelly Winters. God. Oh, Cunt Ola. I like Oh you know, my she's worse than the woman in Rebecca. Worse than uh, Barnes and Elias and Platoon. It's one of these I was wow, well played, sir. Oh. I was watching this and I'm like the, the, 
my modern my modern brain said, well, you know, they're like she, like she's actually modern Winters brain. is acting the way she is. My little modern brain is like, well, where's the context for her? Oh, and yeah. then and then the and then like the other part of me is like, fuck, is that necessary? She's like, she's just a prick. She's awful. I mean, and it's okay. Like she's yeah. just a prick. It's I mean, kind of a cardboard prick. You see is. the lines, and that's what's interesting about the movie too is that it, she did. You sort of see a little bit of how she got yeah, to where she's well, at. She's, it's a okay. hooker, you know, she can't be happy. Well, well, there's a happy hooker, Tom. We should. Uh, you're right. About Work. I'm sorry, a sex worker. Hey, there's a woman who did all of Dallas, apparently. Wow, yeah. Debbie. I heard of her. So um, this, so the scenario is you have this blind girl. I take her to be around 18, something like that, something like that. And she's yeah. she's Especially played by 17, 18. Yeah, Elizabeth right. Hartman, who who now there's a repetition because. Um, Poitier is a sort of like um, stately actor by this time, the mid '60s, and Elizabeth Hartman. This is her first sort yes. of credited film, right? Right, right. And she she plays um, the blind, blind girl. girl. She she lives in a one room apartment with her mother, right? The yeah. aforementioned awful, awful she, Shelley Winters, she's mean and as and her grandfather, her old useless pa, drunk of a grandpa, who has like maybe a heart in him somewhere, but he's just an old rummy. He soused it in booze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the heart comes out just enough to get everybody in trouble. Really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so you know her. She's she's relegated to sort of being in this apartment all day, cleaning it all day, every day. Doesn't know anything else really. Doesn't she's, know she's sheltered anything about the world. But not sheltered like in a good sense. She's <laughs> no. sheltered in, as in a prisoner. Of the man in the iron mask shelter. Yes, that kind of shelter. And her one, she she produces some income for the family by stringing beads yeah. like fake pearls or something like that. And the other thing too is that she's also like having given no opportunity. That's very obvious at this point. Yep. She's kind of strangely competent. She's strangely smart. She's sharp. But yes. she's just been constrained by the environment. But very much like um, if you've ever seen like videos of a dog a rescue dog who's mm -hmm. who's cowers anytime someone like says something she's right. very much about like how do i not upset yeah, right. my this my crazy horrible, horrible who's, mother who is at all times uh, at all times at least verbally abusive yeah a hundred percent yeah yeah so yeah so um but she fucking escapes to the park well that's her thing right so someone someone has taken her to the park um, once or twice, and it's like her big deal. She can get out of the apartment and be taken to the park and sit by a tree and just listen to stuff. And by the way, I just want to note this. Taking her to the park means dumping her there for 10 hours and then coming back to get her and hoping she doesn't shit her pants, right? right? And she's just sitting there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so you know, she's she's... We'll get back to how awful the people in her life are, but she's taken. She goes to the park and she's going to string beads there, and she can do you know, twice the work if her mother wants her to in the park, stringing these beads together. Demands that she do in order to go to the park, right? And and she spills her beads. Really? She's an Oliver Twist. She spills her beads one day, and um, along comes Sidney Poitier, who right. helps her sort of like pick up the beads and restring them, and yeah. gets to know her. Right, they start talking. And he's, she, has a, she has a civil conversation with somebody. It's a sort of a nice setup because he's educated. Um, he's working. He works like the overnight shift at a newspaper. Oh, he's like Sydney fact 40. checking. Hey, man, that's the thing. Yeah, he's yeah suave. I think nice. he's like, well spoken. He's he's like, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it but is he's also. But he's also like a good person. Yeah, like very much, like a very decent individual, and so he starts like taking an interest in her just yeah. from that standpoint. Like yeah. it becomes obvious that she's, you know, she's she's coming. It becomes more increasingly obvious how yeah. awful her home situation is, and he becomes increasingly interested in her. But also, and they become friends. I mean, the film is here's what's interesting about it is, I mean, what's what's ham handed about it is the obvious sort of like he's black, 
she's white. She doesn't know he's black yes. because she's blind. And it's like, okay, well, that's yeah. a little bit of a ham-handed thing. But what's interesting is, is you know, it's it's easy to think, oh, 1960s, they're exploring race relations. The other thing is that they're exploring um, disabled yeah. situation yes. because he's interested like and not, how and it's not condescendingly either not very condescendingly at all i don't think yeah perhaps a little unrealistically in the sense that like he all of a sudden he wants to read a bunch of books on what it's like to be blind yeah. but it's sort of like you know if you're of that the city potier caring sort of like patriarch type you know he would do that and, and he's really interested in like what is her world like yeah and exactly. there's there's a sort of metaphor and all that stuff what would it be like to not see the way I suffer in a seeing world in a way. It's kind of the implication, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and fucking. By the way, I'm jumping all over the place. So I'm gonna hand it over to you in a second. But uh, but fucking Ivan Dixon shows up again. Ivan Dixon from from Hogan's Heroes and Ain't Nothing But a Man. <laughs> Remember Ivan Dixon? <laughs> okay, that's right. his brother. Oh, okay, all right, all right. And his brother enters, and his brother I recognize his brother's somewhere. a doctor, and it's like, what are you doing? It's always the brother in these in these race sort of relations. Yeah. One brother goes, "What are you doing with Whitey?" Right. And Sidney Poitier's there to say, like, "There's Whitey, and right. there's Whitey." Yeah, yeah. You're bringing a white woman into our apartment. Yeah, that scared the shit are out of me. Are you blind? Brother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so all of that's there, and of course, like something has to come to a head because what I mean, what that would be is. Uh, somebody unchained from their fucking uh, lair, yeah. the blind girl, to like meet an actually nice person in society who could teach them something. That could be like the nice after ABC after school special of it all is that this black guy teaches the blind girl. Yeah, but, but it's not allowed to get that. It's not allowed to get that. Uh, that um, that saccharine. Simple. Yeah, well, yeah. that's saccharine and that simple. Yeah, yeah. Because we're never sure. Like he's. She falls in love with him. Like she's very sure of that. She right? falls in but love with him for good. She's never had anything else in her life. That's so the thing. Exactly. We're uh, we're left with that doubt, and he has that doubt too. We're not sure if he's in love with her or yeah. if he's just super concerned for this this friend. And also, and what the difference therein lies. You know. It's well, really... he sees in her what what she would not be able to see in herself, which is exactly what you mentioned. Which is like, of course, she's in love with him. She's the first person who's been kind to her. Yeah. Why wouldn't she be adore him? Yeah, absolutely. And he knows, like, wait, is this actually that she has love feelings for me, or like she clings to the first person who set her free? Exactly. Yeah. So the, so, so there's so that. He, he's he's and he's decent enough to work with that, you know, like yeah. in a good way. So yeah. So the answer is to is to get her out of that house, get her off to another place, like a well, send her to a, to a blind college or a blind school. Uh, in blind school. <laughs> Sorry. Well, they're the very well school. spoken at the blind school. Anyway, so to rescue her from that from that situation, yeah. but not like move in with her immediately, because right. <coughs> there's also the very dangerous fact that she's a white woman. He's a black man. There's that right, and it's, but but it's sort of like um, well, let's so let's talk about her household where she came from because what's revealed the exposition oh. is how she got blind. She was not born blind. No, her mother her was whoring it up one night. Decided to throw some form a of bottle chemi- at a her. bottle with chemicals in it at uh, at her at the at the man she was she was having an argument with. Right. He ducked and it hit her. It hit the little girl in the face and she went blind that way. I remember it, dropping my son off at you... school in seventh grade right. and accidentally backing over his foot with my car. Uh-huh. I, I broke my son's foot by parking the car on his foot accidentally, mm-hmm. and I still cringe when I think about it. Yeah, that's how I know I'm not a piece of shit. 
at least in that right. area. Angela, Angela Lansbury. <laughs> meanwhile, like, look, blindy bitch, do my do my laundry. Like Angela what? Lansbury. No, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Shelly Winters. <laughs> sorry, I'm going. You just murdered. She wrote of, our conversation. They're man. over a type. They're all of a type. Anyways, so Michelle Winters is like, you know, blind, look, blind girl, do my. You know, like, oh, she's, she's like, awful. <laughs> she has no. She she, she exhibits no remorse for that around. None at all. You like to think she's at least got maybe part of her behavior is her shame for having done that, but that does not apparent at all. And one of the other things that's revealed is so Portier uh, yeah. is she's in love with Portier, and Portier sort of suggests <laughs> like, listen, you're you're not really experiencing the world, and she says, oh, I am, and then we get this recount of how a year earlier uh, her mother had brought someone home she uh, goes uh, and and the guy locks the mother out of the room and, and rapes, rapes the kid her. oh my god it's and awful it's and her commentary by the way is i always thought that that mother i think roseanne is her name was was uh having a good time over there in the bed now i know i feel sorry for her because yeah. this is what she must have gone through each time it's uh, fucking brutal fucking, for 1965 and it's just so and, and her delivery of it is so matter of fact that it's like yeah uh, yeah and so extra oh uggity, uggity. and i don't, I don't want to necessarily uggity, uggity, reveal exactly how it ends but it ends perfectly in that it's not it's not a wrapped up present for right, you exactly this no, film does there's, not there's ambiguity but a little bit of hope for all that it needs to do in the sort of the yeah. corny column to, to move things along you know he's black but she's white and blind and doesn't see color and for all those sort of ham-handed moves it's overpowered by moves that are very very like um generous to thinking people yeah you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. generous to thinking mm, people well played joseph well, i like that well as you well, filled in the tub as you sh- oh you <laughs> son of a bitch twice in an episode okay um yeah so it's uh anything else to say about patch of blue <laughs> one of I my mean, favorite it, movies now. i've never f- seen it before oh really i've always heard it praised by my, my brother would loved it when he was a kid i was like oh, i want to watch that movie yeah never got around to it and finally did fuck it's one of my tops oh and then i guess i would say that grandfather the way that opa who's who's more than a flawed person I mean, he's just a he's a drunk he's yeah. kind of garbage on his own but there's a little bit of a heart in there and what it is is that the difference between the grandfather who's a piece of shit and the mother who's a raging piece of shit is that he's redeemable in moments he can see he has a little bit of give a shit about the kid that she should yeah she needs to go on if if possible she needs to go on and and make her own way in life and Shelley Winters can cannot see beyond herself well cannot see beyond the fact that now who's gonna who's gonna do keep that place clean and and do her ironing for her now that she's lost her captive. Yeah, because one of the subplots oh, is that she wants to move animal. into a new apartment and and open up a, a more official whorehouse. Her and her, her fucking Mitzi, friend Mitzi or whatever the right. fucking name Meanwhile, is. Meanwhile, Mitzi is also eyeballing the girl knowing that they're going to try to turn her out. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's. I think it's pretty heavily implied by the way uh, she keeps eyeballing young... Uh, uh, what is her name? Oh, oh my God! Well, Elizabeth Hartman. Elizabeth, the actress, Elizabeth Hartman. Elizabeth Hartman, by the way. Yeah. This was her first breakout role. She was nominated for Best Actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, went on, did a couple of interesting things. Yeah. Then went to Broadway. Her last film was 1982 as the voice of um, the Secret of Nim. Secret of Nim, and then she. Then she uh, thrust herself out of five story window and killed herself. Apparently, she suffered from depression for years. Well, she's yeah. Severely depressed. Probably just working with Shelly Winters. Oh, I'll do it. Man. Fucking awful. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I, I was really bummed out to learn that because I thought, um, yeah. you know, who died recently? I forget her name. I should look it up. But it's it's she's kind of sadly famous for 
um, her palimony suit against Clint Eastwood, but she's the girl um, who made her film debut in Heart is a Lonely Hunter. Oh, really? The main character. She recently died, and I didn't realize that she'd been in some other cool... I'll look her up in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like they had the same trajectory, and mm. here you have one woman. Um, she was also... You know what else she was in? Remember Sudden Impact? Yeah. And the main character, the woman whose sister had been raped, and she she was the woman killing everyone? Yeah. That was Clint Eastwood's... Um, well, pal and palimony. They were never married. Oh, they lived together for oh, like 15 years. So, okay. But that's the same woman who starred in Heart is Lonely Hunter. Is that her? Look at her face. Yeah, it's the same woman. Wow. Fuck. What's her name? Okay. Okay. Yeah, and she I... was in The Beguiled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, she no. Elizabeth a... Harmon was in The Beguiled. She did a number of things. Sorry. We're just sort of rambling here. But the point is, like, you have these two women who, like, sort of um, had these amazing debuts, um, didn't necessarily fulfill that promise, but one who died of old age, having uh, gotten some money out of old Clint Eastwood, right. and another one who thrust herself out of five-story window. Ugh. Oh, Tommy. Oh. I'm grateful to oh, be alive is what I am. <laughs> I don't know about that for me, but okay, the fact that you're alive. I oh, that I'm alive. Yeah. Son of a bitch! Ah, I got you. So, so I so, think that the, the thing about Sidney Poitier is, is so you have this sort of look. I, I, we're exploring his range here today okay, in so a lot I, of ways. In a way, it's perfect because I see him as having three stages, right? Yep. So the first stage of Sidney Poitier is... Perfectly, um, I think, expressed in in No Way Out, and that's the sort of the Jackie Robinson thing, yeah. right? It's like, like you're the black guy; he's going to have to sort of face adverse uh, uh, adversity. Adversity, thank you, and 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 sort of <laughs> weather the storm. But I can transition like a motherfucker and weather the storm and, and sort of come out on top. <laughs> then, then you're going to have to be the sort of like the black patriarch in the 1960s so it's like whether it's here or in the heat of the night right they call me mr Tibbs. to sir with love to sir with love and it's like it turns out you're the you're the better person who can guide the white people right Mm -hmm. and but then it's like now we're gonna hit the the last stage of city Poitier, and it's i don't give a fuck stage we're black and we're proud let's go so the 70s so he starts directing things like he directed stir crazy did he? With Richard Pryor and, and Gene Wilder. Nice, okay. Um, he directed a few interesting sort of movies, right? Including the first in a trilogy. Yes. With Mr. Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, which we should do an episode of Bill Cosby sometime for sure. But this is 1974's Uptown, Uptown Saturday, Saturday Night. Night. They did one that followed, so that's called Let's Do It Again. Yeah. And I think a third one in 77 called A Piece of the Action, yep. which which there was a major drop-off on each one. But this is an interesting time. And what by I don't give a fuck, I think that's – I want to start with this. There's a time period in the 70s where there's a reversal. And I think the guy responsible for it is actually Norman Lear in a way. Uh-huh. So it's like you have the Jeffersons. Right. You have um, good times, anytime you need a handout, good time. I know the whole good time good, song, good by times. the way. Yeah. It's good times. You could just have said that. Uh, the Jeffersons, good times, anytime you need a friend. Oh, no, and he's going to be singing. Um, <laughs> not getting hustled, not getting hassled. Um, and then you have, we're talking about what's happening. With, with Somebody kill me. This is hell. What's happening? No, I get it. it with Rerun, DJ, yeah, and Ron? I remember, I remember all these shows. Okay, so I don't remember all the theme songs. Sorry. Oh, would you like to hear them? I think I'm going to, whether <laughs> I fucking want to or not. So, so Norman, are you, dear listener. Norman Lear mm-hmm. redirects this thing. And it, like he redirects it, but with the cooperation of black artists. And what it is, is it's like, hey, how do we actually now you know, um, do a little... 
update of like Raisin in the Sun in the sense that like instead of saying like let's focus like okay sorry Sidney Poitier is like 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 well spoken trustworthy mainstream right. you can do it and and the extension of that ultimately is like the Cosby show in the 1980s right sure. like he's a doctor she's right. a lawyer right but the other edge of it is how do you explore sort of black culture in in uh, TV shows and movies and go like let's celebrate black people who are poor yeah like let's go inside their house and not and not necessarily with an eye toward like this has to get better but like how can you be good as you are right right and that's that's what i think like good times and and what's happening does on tv and i think that Which is like the w- working class black culture yeah right and it, of that. yeah and so that's that's what i think Poti- it's a long time to get there well if i wasn't interrupted by a uh, a motherfucker i'm not saying you <laughs> but someone in this room okay because I do great transitions. Yes, and I'm do. transitioning here to say that I think City Poitier is doing that, <laughs> starting with 1974's Uptown Saturday Night. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so he's, he's a guy who works in like a, a, a ball bearing factory or, or well, something. I love the fact that I'm like, oh my God, a manufacturing job in the United States. Oh, there's yeah. the opening scene. <laughs> but this takes place in making, China? He's making things. Yeah. And, wow. And oh, Bill, fuck. Bill, That's not a latte. What's he doing? <laughs> Bill Cosby is uh, a cab driver. Yes. Right? So they have these sort of like. And he's you got know, a magnificent face. He's got magnificent facial hair. Yeah, yeah. This is definitely like right between like remember like Fat Albert and then yeah. like the Cosby Show. This was that area in between. He's there. got LeBron James's beard for oh, sure. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So it's like, um, so they're they're like really good friends, yeah. and um, it, I've it's been a, in the military together. I think it, it was implied. It's a very very simple premise, and the premise is uh, the old lady won't let me do stuff. Can right. we like sneak out to this this sort of like. <laughs> Really crazy. This was a time apparently when husbands could sneak out at one o'clock in the morning to go do things without their wife. And if they got caught, their wife would just shake their hand. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Um, maybe, maybe like shake a frying pan at them. And or something. for some reason, it's like they have to have like a, a gambling sort of like joint that's hidden behind a wall there, in a there's, house. There's dice involved. There's what? There's dice. Yeah. Going on downstairs at this place. It's a it's like an after hours club. It's like, like a wide ju- whorehouse, but we don't really see it. It's a juke joint, right? But they yeah. didn't need juke joints in the seventies, but okay. I mean, uh, as but, far as I know. Sure, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I guess you would if you're gonna have gambling in the establishment. Maybe that was uh, maybe. But anyway, it's it's a, it's a flimsy premise. And and what happens is they go. It's pretty flimsy all the way around, but it's still enjoyable to watch. Yeah, well they go and they're robbed. Yes, exactly. The, the so place, we, the place is held up, right? So, despite the fact, okay, despite the fact that there's like two layers to this place, there's like a house, yeah, where like oh, there are like hundreds of people walking around being joyously black, and then, <laughs> and then there's like a red door off in the corner, and you yeah. knock on that, and then they let you in, and then when you get in there, that's where like the gambling is going on down below. So the the robbery takes place down there. So these guys apparently made their way all the way through this other yeah. this other establishment to get in there, put on ski masks, and then rob them. Well, one of the things I like about it, by the way, is is um, this place establishes that Cosby and Poitier are um, kind of nerds, right? Yes. This is the thing. As a white guy watching this, I'm like, oh, well, black well, people. Poitier and- certainly, and Bill Cosby is like. He's like in that. He's like that. He's a little less of a nerd than Poitier. But they don't belong in this place, and they're right. trying to hip it up they're in their lives. And of course, the first time they get there, and they're, you know, Cosby's playing dice, and he's winning. He's like a couple hundred dollars up, and this is this magnificent sort of way to blow off steam. Yeah, they're robbed right. by masked 
but ungloved, so therefore clearly black <laughs> bandits. Right, 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 right. Um, and okay, so no big deal. They're ripped they take, off, and they can get away with it. But right, suddenly, they take, they take all the personal possessions, they take the money in the room, all that the kind wallets, of importantly, the wallets, importantly, and then suddenly we're like out of left field almost. Sydney Portier apparently had a uh, had a lottery, a lottery ticket. ticket. He won a lottery, and so we read in the newspaper like like the next day, yep. and it says. By the way, his wife is at this point already over uh, the fact that he was. Or mm-hmm. did she not know? No, she might not have known at this point. She didn't know. Oh, okay. Anyways, uh, but looks in the newspaper. Boom! Right there, boom. the lottery ticket which he had, and it was in his fucking wallet. So right. now it got stolen the night before. Yeah. Like almost any other movie would have had something about the lottery ticket before this. No. And not, Unnecessary. not at all. It just shows up, boom, at this point, which I kind boom, of find boom. refreshing. Yeah, well, so it's like it becomes a chase for like how do, how do they reacquire this lottery ticket so they can get their $50,000? So what are they going to have to do? And they're nerds. Like like there's a whole scene where Sidney Poitier decides he's going to just like <laughs> dog-eye everyone in the street, and he realizes after 10 minutes he can't just like squint and look at people and 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 you're gonna get her doing that and recognize them and so now it becomes this sort of like a, it's a it's a real love boat scenario in yes. the sense that there are cameo appearances by everyone Everybody. that they meet in order to get there and and, 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 and they, they they troll their way through like some very cartoonish examples unnecessarily right <laughs> like, so it's like, like one guy's doing a like a Marlon Brando the Godfather impression. One of the gangsters yeah. that he's working with. I forget who that actor is, but one of the first ones is, is a young, coked-up Richard Pryor in 1974. Looking, looking good. Looking, looking good, Richard. This is before Freebase, obviously. <laughs> it was hilarious, But it's man. like he plays a private detective. They go to sort of hire him and put a down payment, right. and then it turns out that the cops show up, and he's a grifter. He's like a con man. But it's like totally unnecessary to the story in any yeah. way, except to get a young like Richard, Richard Pryor, Pryor in there. The yeah, Pre- we're talking pre-car wash here, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, so there's that. There's Roscoe Lee Brown, right? Who's like he's been in everything. He's, he's got so good. The fucking uh, the, yeah. Pre Morgan like Freeman, black guy voice. That guy. Yes, and he had, and he was the uh, he was like the senator or something like that. The with the with his black. <laughs> well, it's a hysterical he's in his office in a suit. Yeah, and he's like, somebody's here to see you, sir. Comes through. His he throws the shiki on. <laughs> so he's like, oh, is it uh, is it the mayor? No, it's, it's not a white person. So, oh, it's a constituent. Boom, puts on a dark. Boom. Yeah, so that's that's kind of his move, right? So it's like it's, it's pow puts on a dirt. Yeah, you love the boom. Boom's your little thing. I love I like that about it. you. Boom. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. You got this. Yeah. Boom. You got this. You got yeah. this. Boom. Now get on with the story. Okay. So um, it's it, it's now it's just a sort of like an array, right? Of like let's just come along and and meet all these different people. I mean, in that sense, the movie's kind of there's nothing left of the movie except to sort of play out right. too long. Yeah. Now. We also get to see how bad uh, car suspensions were in the seventies. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's not <laughs> a, a must see. Like, like, these things are just bouncing, boating along. It's not a. I mean, it's just a, a vaguely enjoyable movie. It's actually interesting for two other reasons. One is to sort of see where Potier decided like he'd earned his bones and could just give up and have fun. Yeah. In the nineteen seventy, because it's all it is is him just acting a little like, kind of goofy exactly. with his friend Bill Cosby. Yeah. Now the other important part is to realize how much raping Bill. Cosby <laughs> Cosby was doing during this period because does that implicate Sidney Poitier? Because it's very easy to watch the Cosby Show because it's like we've it's been pointed out so often like uh, the 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 father of America you know or like uh, we you know we look to him and he like to go like I'm kind of sick of that one <clears throat> to see Bill Cosby in his 70s bearded prime. There's a movie called um, Mother Jugs and Speed. You ever seen that one? He's an ambulance driver with George Siegel and Raquel Welsh. Mm-hmm. All these terrible movies he was in in the 70s and to realize how many. It may be, by the way, Tom, someone pointed this out recently. It may be 
that Bill Cosby is the number one established serial rapist of all time, without exaggeration. Oh, no. It could be I that it's on record that he's a stat that know. he's he raped hundreds oh. of women. All right. So he's an he you know to know. I, I mean, I, there's no one else like that. There's no. no one else, you know, like, you can look at a Woody Allen film and go, like, mm, uh, well, I don't look at him on film. Yeah. That's my point. There's no one else where I, I look at him in a story, like Roman Polanski in Chinatown. They're all reminders of something that's yeah. shitty, right? But no one do you look at and you go, like, that's world a guy record, who raped hundreds of women. Wow. It is really, I, I, I really am good. Very good at compartmentalizing lots of things, including my movie watching. Uh, Bill Cosby's a tough one, man. He's really tough. And I, and I, and, and I told you uh, before we saw this that I had backstory on this movie. When I was a kid, mm-hmm. when this movie came out, I was a huge Cosby fan. I loved the Cosby kids. Oh yeah, okay. Love, just fucking yeah, love. Yeah, yeah. And when this movie came out, I did, and it had it had Bill Cosby, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, look at her. And the, the, everybody else in the in the family uh, where I was living at the time, it's mm-hmm. a little it's a little complicated yep. divorce post uh, post divorce situation. Yep. Uh, we were my mom was shacking up with somebody who had kids, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, it was like, yeah, like a weird Brady Bunch thing. Yep. And everybody got to go see that damn movie except me. What, what, what was the movie? This one. Oh yeah. Yeah, I really wanted Uptown Saturday Night. It's got Bill Cosby. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, but it was, it was of course you wouldn't yeah i was five or six yeah, or something yeah. like that yeah. so totally it was completely beyond me except for the fact that it had him so all these years i've kind of always wanted to see this movie like that yeah. sort of has stuck with me yeah and so and then now and now you're right cosby's 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 almost, a guy he's ruined and and it's yeah. and now as a comedian i have to oh, say yeah. there's other there's another element to this which is cosby wasn't just one of the best comics in the world. He was maybe one of the. He maybe he maybe he made a bit. Maybe have been the best. When it, when I hear people talk about um, comedy albums they used to listen to when they were younger, that's the one. Um, Bill Cosby is a very funny fellow, right? Because yeah. of the whole like Noah's Ark, right? And there was another one, the uh, race, where, uh, the, the chicken heart that ate t- t- or Buck Buck. I I yeah. uh, uh, I used to listen to those albums. Over and over. I mean, he was one of the great comedians for sure. Well, I mean, he is one of the great comedians. I guess you can't take that away, but it just is difficult. Uh, it rankles. It's awful. And yeah. and I think that's weird about this film, and it's too bad. I mean, actually, it's not too bad, because if it were an amazing film, it would be too bad. Right. It's right. just sort of interesting it's to go like... It's an enjoyable yeah. movie, but... Because it's also like you can't pay... Yeah. Unless we find... Oh, God, help us. If we find something out about Poitier later on, that would be yeah. awful. But you cannot think now about two different human beings Yeah. who work together. Bill Cosby, I want to repeat, perhaps the biggest serial rapist of all... All time that we know about. I mean, Genghis Khan. I guess. I guess Genghis <laughs> but I mean that you have numbers. That's not even close. Um, that you have num- like official numbers on, and then Sidney Poitier, who's the the most like uh, guy with integrity. Right. Anyway. Right. Right. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> All right, Tommy. Oh. Do you have anything to plug, sir? Um, yeah, check me out, TomSmithComedy.com. Um, and uh, join us on Patreon, please. Yeah, rate and review us on iTunes as well. And send us an email at uh, finleysonfilm at gmail.com. We've been getting a couple um, and sort of we're getting, you know, a kind of mixed reactions to what we're doing with, with put front-loading this with some commentary before we talk about films. So I, it's up in the air as to whether we can continue doing it or not. So give us your feedback. We'd love yeah, to hear please. it. And then we'll ignore it and we'll have five listeners. Bye, Tommy. Bye.